Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News political director Rick Klein. And I'm ABC senior congressional correspondent Mary Bruce. And John Carl is on assignment out with the president as yeah. he kicks off his uh, final six-day campaign swing, 11 different visits, eight different states. It is going to be quite a ride for President Trump coming off of a little pause after Pittsburgh and his visit there just yesterday. He is going to be out and about, Mary, and that means we are going to hear a whole lot of wild stuff. Yeah, it is quite the blitz. And if the last few days in the lead up to this is any indication from the stops that he's had so far, he is going to be throwing out pretty much everything he's got to see what he can do to rally his base, to try and get his supporters out to the polls. Because at this point, a lot of this is just a turnout, you know, it's just a turnout game. But the fact that he is still hammering on immigration, still using the caravan as a news peg, throwing out some pretty wild uh, suggestions that even leaders of his own party don't support, like like the birthright citizenship uh, proposal that he floated the other day. I mean, it's just, uh, it'll be interesting to see what other twists and turns he throws at us as he tries to do everything he can't rally the base. And we've talked a lot on this program and elsewhere about the fact that there are really two different countries that yeah. happen to just be voting on the same day. <laughs> and you see that in the House map and you see that in the Senate map. And I think you can even take that one step further because the two parties are running entirely separate campaigns. They are not arguing with each other as much as they're trying to talk over each other. And the president hitting hard on immigration. And, and Mary, uh, as you've been out reporting uh, around the country um, in some of these key races, you've got the Democrats who are just talking about an entirely different set of issues. Yeah. And the Democrats say, look, you know, the president is talking about immigration because he's trying to change the subject. And well, yeah, he is. That's exactly what, what Republicans are trying to do, because Republicans are keenly aware that for a lot of voters, and we've seen this ourselves on the ground in some of these key states, health care is the top issue of their concern. You now have 53 percent of voters who have a favorable view of Obama. Obamacare. And that becomes an issue for a lot of Republicans who for so many years have been railing against Obamacare. And we were on the ground uh, in Missouri, which is an incredibly close Senate race there. You have the Democrat Claire McCaskill trying to hold on to her seat in a state that Trump won by 19 points. And her Republican opponent is this perfect example of how Republicans are trying to have it both ways. Josh Hawley, uh, on the one hand, is fighting to repeal Obamacare. He's actually signed on to a lawsuit uh, as the state's attorney general to, to repeal uh, Obamacare, to challenge that law. But at the same time, he now is out saying he wants to protect pre-existing conditions. And so we, uh, we, we pushed him on this. Take a listen. So which is it? Do you support these protections or do you want to get rid of them? I want to get rid of Obamacare and I want to have the protections without Obamacare. If you want to keep these protections, though, will you take your name off that lawsuit? No, because I want to get rid of Obamacare. The lawsuits Even about though Ob Obamacare keeps those protections? I, Obamacare is, look, it is driving the cost of, of health insurance up. The way that Obamacare is written ties the pre-existing conditions coverage to the rest of Obamacare. We can do a lot better than that. And the challenge here for Republicans is what does that look like? Because you have so many Republican candidates saying, well, don't worry, we'll repeal Obamacare. And then separately, apart from Obamacare, we'll find a way to protect people with pre-existing conditions. Well, you know, Rick, correct me if I'm wrong, but Republicans have now been in control of Washington for you know a little while here. And they still have yet to come up with any plan to replace Obamacare. Yeah, they're the dog that caught the car. And when it comes to Obamacare, they ran against it. The president made his, his vows to repeal and replace. The president has been saying in very misleading fashion. Mm -hmm. that the Republicans would protect pre-existing conditions and the Democrats would get rid of it. To my mind, the fact that 
this continues to come up in campaign messaging and campaign advertising. This is a stubborn issue. This is a through line that cuts across states, red and blue. This has been a very big issue. And the fact that Republicans have had to respond like this tells us as reporters on this that this is an issue that's gotten traction. We see it in our polls. We see it on the ground from the reporting that this issue has broken through. And that is something that gives Democrats a lot of confidence about their prospects six days before this election. And it's just pretty remarkable. I mean, even when you when you go out and travel and you listen to the TV ads, which are impossible to <laughs> you escape can't from, I'll be so happy in a week when we are done with those ads. But, you know, think about just a couple of years ago where you had Republicans, almost every single campaign ad was railing against Democrats and Obamacare. And now you have Democrats being able to tout that in their ads and Republicans trying to, to, to figure out a way to, to, to walk that fine line and have it both ways. It's just a remarkable shift. And and it does – we talk about the, the way that the, the maps are different. It, it gives uh, at least the, the possibility of some traction around some red state Democrats. And if you – as you've gone around uh, in, in, in Missouri and North Dakota recently, but you can also go to West Virginia or go to Montana, and you have Democrats who – some of whom were very critical of Obamacare or uh, about portions of Obamacare originally. We've seen the politics flip around entirely, and, yeah. and they're running on it. Exactly. And it is interesting because it does give a lot of those red state Democrats a, a new issue to gain traction on. I mean, we were in in North Dakota, where, again, voters all told us healthcare, the economy, you know, as much as the national conversation may be around some of these other issues, it really, you know, it's no surprise, but it, it is those pocketbook issues that for so many voters are still the top of their mind. And we were in North Dakota and Heidi Heitkamp, of course, you know, is in this incredibly uh, tight race. That's a state that Donald Trump won by 36 points. Um, and she is also getting hammered uh, on an issue that a lot of Republicans are still hoping they get a bounce from, and that's Brett Kavanaugh and his confirmation. Heidkamp, of course, came out uh, and opposed Brett Kavanaugh. It was an incredibly emotional decision for her, one that at the time she said she took, knowing it could cost her her seat. And just listen to how she sort of described to us uh, the state of things right now, her, her, her state of mind. Millions of people in this country live without being a United States senator. It's not the end all and be all. And I certainly hope I'm given a chance to serve North Dakota again. I hope I'm given a chance to serve my country again. But um, if, if, if that service means that you compromise your principles or your values or what you believe is, is right, you know, that, that it's time for somebody else in North Dakota. It certainly sounds like, you know, she obviously is well aware that she is down in those polls, that it is an incredibly tight race. She seems to be looking ahead already. Um, but it will be interesting to see just how much voters there uh, paid attention to that decision and whether that was actually influencing you know their vote, especially now that we are a couple weeks away from that uh, yeah. from that confirmation fight. I, I thought that was a, a striking exchange. It, it has seemed from the beginning that she realized that this could be the thing that defines and maybe ends her absolutely her political career. Uh, and and that isn't certainly the talk of someone with a lot of confidence. I will note that Heidi Heitkamp got ever got all the pollsters um, looking yes. dumb six years ago. <laughs> uh, everyone got that one wrong last time, so maybe she pulls a, a rabbit out here. But it is uh, it, it is a different set of uh, set of states that are voting and, and the, the the red territory where President Trump is going to be traveling in the last couple of days and where he's very, very popular. It, it is where the Senate battleground is. And it does has me have me thinking quite a bit right now about what a split decision looks like, mm -hmm. Mary, because we're we're used to elections having some degree of finality. They, the two sides go in there and there's a judgment in the American people and we move on this. If, if this is a clear majority for the Democrats in the House, clear majority for the Republicans in the Senate, expanded majority for the Republicans in the Senate, uh, and, and a president who, of course, is going to, I think we can fairly assume he's going to claim vindication <laughs> regardless of what the results are. 
Uh, that's kind of a messy outcome for uh, for a, a pretty angry, intense political time. Yeah. What is it that you keep telling us and reminding all of us that the only thing that's certain right now uh, with a few days left to go is, is uncertainty? Yeah. We just don't know what this is going to look like. And, and, you know, I mean, I think we've all keep saying it, the Democrats are hopeful that they're going to take the House. But by what margin? Which Democrats uh, give them that majority? You know, do you have a lot? You know, is it a younger, more progressive Democratic caucus? What does that look like? And of course, you know, if the Senate does stay Republican, which it seems it's going to, you know, what is that split? It look like and all of it depends of course on how you're going to work with the president going forward how he's going to spin it but they're just as it's going to be very tough to draw clear conclusions from this and it is going to take all of us i think a long time to absorb all of this and then to see you know what this looks like when everyone actually gets back here to washington because of course how you campaign is not always you know how you act and govern here yeah and this moment that we're in uh after um some attempted acts of political violence mm-hmm. last week um a uh, a Trump supporter uh, who li- lives, lives in Florida um, sending a series of uh, uh, pipe bombs to, to attempt to harm or kill a series of Democrats, media organizations. Uh, and then the shooting over the weekend at the synagogue in Pittsburgh, 11 people uh, gunned down. Um, the, it, it put a chill on, on politics for a few moments, the president saying he's under um, his best behavior. But it's an undeniable element to this when you look at the way that political violence, mm-hmm. racially and, uh, um, and ethnically tinged violence, um, people that want to do harm. It, it, this is a this is a tense and and really truly angry time in politics, and to see it spill over into actions is just it, it's chilling and, and kind of sad. It, it is chilling and it is frightening. I mean, it's downright scary when you think that the divisive rhetoric uh, is now leading perhaps and influence. Uh, people to take action, a very frightening action. And it will also be interesting to see whether what we've seen over the last uh, week, these these chilling events, whether they uh, encourage people to get out and vote, whether it changes the way people think about this election um, and whether or not to participate and how to participate. Um, and, of course, whether you're going to see actually any change in that rhetoric. I mean, you hear, you know, and this is a familiar refrain from people, from politicians. They come out, they say one thing after these kinds of events, and a couple weeks later they're back to just attacking yeah. each other bitterly and brutally. I mean, you, you, and it's still going on in campaign ads. I mean, and it's still happening from the president himself. You hear him coming out and calling for a softer tone, and yet at the same time uh, he's still making very pointed, very personal attacks against some Democratic candidates. Yeah, as you mentioned, John Carl's headed to Florida, the first of these 11 stops. It's impossible for me to imagine 11 uh, campaign events featuring President Trump where he doesn't engage or the crowd doesn't engage in a little locker up. Uh, and we don't hear the old standbys yeah. about Maxine Waters and Eric Holder and Barack Obama and CNN. And it just it feels like all of that is bound to come back into play in the closing days, uh, kind of adding to the tension of, of this moment. Well, and you've been seeing the president going back to, to his old playbook. Like he's trying to outline what he thinks is at stake if Democrats win. And he's using a lot of fear to do that. You know, what could happen uh, if some of his agenda he, he claims is reversed or if you do have, you know, Nancy Pelosi at the helm again and he uses a lot of, you know, which I fear tactics to do that. And, and the question is, will he tone that down at all? Will he encourage his supporters to tone that down? From what we've seen so far, I doubt it. Yeah. And, and the big issue that he's pressing right now is immigration. Mm-hmm. Um, he's talking about he's activating um, U.S. troops to the border, uh, 5,000 plus U.S. troops to confront a, a group of refugees that is unarmed, um, that may at this point be less than 5,000 people we're talking about. And they won't be here by and, election and, day. That's right. Won't be here. It's only a 45 thing, 45 day troop surge to the border unclear what they'll be doing. It is clearly a statement. Um, it is a loud statement. It is a dramatic statement, but it is not an actual 
doesn't seem to have any policy ramifications. This is about um, amplifying this and, and, and making this into a threat that truly isn't a threat in the run-up to the election. And with birthright citizenship, look, this is something that the president has mused about publicly before. He could do it right now or think he could do it right now. It'll be tied up in court. Uh, it, it is not a coincidence that a week before the election, it's suddenly coming back into view. It's an issue that he views as something that uh, motivates his base and, and gets Republicans remembering why they voted for him the first time. Yeah, these are political plays. Um, and, and he's been pretty transparent about that. I mean, just look back at through his Twitter feed. The president has tweeted that he thinks that immigration is a winning issue for Republicans in the midterms. And that's exactly what he's doing. He is going out and targeting and hitting on the issues that he thinks excite his base the most. And he is now using every tool at his disposal to do that. And who knows? I mean, birthright citizenship, is that something that he's serious about doing? Is that something that he's just floating? Is this something that he knows gets everybody whipped up? Um, and, and it certainly has. Um, but, uh, you know, whether there's any lasting impact uh, of some of these decisions and proposals remains to be seen. But but in the immediate, it is clear that he is using every single thing and tool at his disposal to try and hammer away at this issue, which he thinks will ultimately drive his supporters to, to vote. And I think it should be noted that it's not an issue that, that is a clean Democrat versus Republican no, issue. No, no. Uh, you have some Republicans who say this is a terrible idea. It's unconstitutional. Paul Ryan among, among them, mm-hmm. but even some that are in, in targeted races in, in tough reelection races. And you have some Democrats who are saying about, about the, the trips to the border, about birthright citizenship, it's something that we should look at. And Absolutely. And there is, there is a bigger, really important debate here, which I think you will be having once Congress is back in session. The question is just, you know, what happens from exactly the president's proposals in these next, you know, coming days and weeks. All right, Mary, we're going to take a quick break. When we are back, we're going to be joined by former governor of New Jersey uh, and a close presidential advisor, Chris Christie. So you just woke up. Your phone is lighting up with headlines and push notifications and a text from your mom saying, how do I click this? Okay, maybe that's just me. But if you want to get up to speed, check out the new podcast from ABC News. Start here. Literally, the ground was shaking. I'm Brad Milkey, and every morning we're going to take you to the stories that matter with fast, fresh insight. Hello, Robert Mueller. Michael Cohen calling. All in 20 minutes. Start here. Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. And now joining us here on Powerhouse Politics, the former governor of New Jersey, ABC News contributor, and a uh, longtime friend and advisor to President Trump, Chris Christie. Welcome, Governor. Rick, well, good morning. So uh, you, you just did an event uh, in New Hampshire. You're calling us now from the Manchester airport, where you've become pretty familiar with that <laughs> moose and all <laughs> everything there. Uh, so I, I'm curious what you're picking up on the campaign trail. Uh, New Hampshire has a, has a couple of House races, one in particular that's gotten a lot of, a lot of attention, a gubernatorial race. But what, what's your sense of the, uh, of the view from the ground of this election and what's animating voters at this moment? Well, I, you know, in the group of Republicans that I was with, it was about, it was about 200 Republicans in New Hampshire last night, and they're still talking about um, Brett Kavanaugh. Um, and I was kind of surprised, given everything else that has gone on since Kavanaugh's um, confirmation. I was surprised to hear that a lot of those voters are still talking about Brett Kavanaugh and talking about it in the context of saying we've got to get out and support Republicans because of how the Democrats acted during the Kavanaugh hearings. So I was surprised to hear that much still about Brett Kavanaugh. But on the ground here in New Hampshire last night, more than any other issue, that's what I heard about. What is your sense of how the events of recent days, whether it, the caravan uh, and the president sending troops to the border, uh, his his announcement about 
uh, birthright citizenship. Is it impacting things at all? Are people talking about it? Do you think it has an impact on voters next Tuesday? You know, I really don't. I don't, Rick. I, I think that it's m- just more of an affirmation of the president's position on this issue. I don't know that it's animating people. I've not heard a lot of people talking about it. I've heard more people, quite frankly, talking about the um, the murders in Pittsburgh um, than I've heard them talking about, at least recently, the caravan and the, and, and the, the actions the president's taking. I think what the president's doing is reassuring his base that he's going to continue to ma- remain strong on that immigration issue. But I don't know that it's animating folks. Um, like I said last night, I really thought I'd hear about the caravan, about birthright citizenship, about um, even the, the murders in, in Pittsburgh. I did not. I was still hearing about Brett Kavanaugh in a place where, as you know, you have some of the most aware and informed voters in the country, um, given what they participate in every four years. and They don't turn it off in the uh, in the interim period. So I, I think that's that's a really interesting thing for me to have heard last night, because I know these New Hampshire voters pretty well. And they're, they're well-informed folks, and if they're talking about it, that's probably what's animating folks up here at the moment. What about health care, Governor? Obviously, Democrats are, are hitting the issue hard in these final weeks and days. You've heard the president also coming out and, and hitting on it a little bit. Uh, is that resonating, or is there concern about how much Democrats may be able to be gaining traction on this issue? Well, I can tell you, for instance, Mary, as opposed to New Hampshire, in New Jersey, I've heard a lot about that issue. Um a bluer state, um, a more Democrat state, and I've heard more in the congressional races about the health care issue than I've heard, um, than I heard, let's say, up here in New Hampshire last night. I do think Democrats are getting some traction, especially in House races on that issue. I think it's having less traction in the Senate races just because of where the competitive Senate races are. But in some of these competitive House seats in suburban areas, um, the pre-existing condition issue is one that's really cutting. Um, and the Republicans, to this point, I think, have been pretty ineffective um, in terms of making their case on why they weren't going after the pre-existing condition coverage and were going to maintain it. Um, I, I, don't, I think they're being drowned out by the, the amount of money, quite frankly, the Democrats are spending on this issue. Yeah, it, you know, you've seen a lot of Republicans now coming out, uh, and the president, too, saying they are going to act to protect pre-existing conditions, uh, that really popular provision of Obamacare. Is that too little, too late? Does that sort of backfire on them? Uh, is it better for them to just sort of stay away from that issue entirely? I don't think it backfires, uh, Mary, but it may be too little, too late. We're going to have to see um, come Tuesday night. I think we'll get a real handle on that come Tuesday night. But um, I do think that this was the risk that they took. And, and I always thought it was a bad decision to take on Obamacare first out of the box. And it's allowed that issue to be here and be resonating for Democrats now for, you know, a year and a half. And that's a long time for something to, uh, to percolate and for you to try to come in kind of at the 11th hour with more information from the Republican side. I think it's hard to pull that off. And so we'll see. Um, whether or not it's too little, too late. But my sense is um, that it may it may be. Governor Christie, oh, the president is about to engage on a on a on a blitz. Eleven uh, campaign stops over the last six days of the campaign. What's your sense of his mood, his attitude, his outlook going into this stretch? Given the political violence we saw last week, given the shooting we saw at the synagogue, the killings at the synagogue over the weekend, has that? tempered him at all? What are you expecting from him? And what's what's going through his head at this moment, as you read? 
Well, he's he's certainly, you know, really upset about what happened in Pittsburgh, and I think his his move to go to Pittsburgh yesterday, despite some pushback from Democratic politicians in the area, um, tells you that there was something he felt strongly about. But I think this is a president who understands how to turn the page in his own approach to things, and I think he loves being on the campaign trail. He loves doing these rallies that he'll be doing over the next six days. And I think you'll see a fairly consistent President Trump who will be hitting the issues that he thinks are important to motivate his voters um, and to put himself out there, as uh, as he said a number of times, pretend I'm on the ballot. I think he wants to be the center of attention on this. He wants to try to motivate his voters because he thinks he's the one who can do it best. So I think you'll see a fairly um, aggressive, um, assertive, um, and upbeat president over the last six days. He does certainly seem to be having a lot of fun out there. Um, And he has made clear, you know, saying that he is on the ballot, trying to use that to encourage people to get out and vote. But he's also said, basically, don't blame him if we if Republicans see big losses. So how much responsibility will the president bear if you do see, you know, the House, you know, Democrats take the House by by a large margin? Well, the president always bears some responsibility. He's the head of the party and he gets credit when the party does well and he gets some blame when, when the party does poorly now. House races in particular, as you know, Mary, are often very localized. I mean, absent, you know, what we've seen in 1994, for instance, with the contract with America, most of the time these races are run based upon the individuals in those districts. So those candidates who lose will bear some of the burden as well. But I don't think the president, despite what he's saying, um, really believes that he can avoid any blame for what happens. If it doesn't go well, um, he'll take some blame. If it goes better than expected, you can be assured that he'll be out there taking credit. Do you feel like the strategy at the end from the president's perspective is a strategy or is he throwing things at the wall? I got to say, when I heard about the birthright citizenship thing, I just thought, man, this is just this is just throwing things out there. The 10 percent tax cut. Uh, you mentioned health care and some scrambling around that. But is this is this just the president firing in, in random directions right now to try to see what sticks or is there a broader strategy at work? Rick, I don't think it's random. I think he understands which issues motivate his voters, and he's trying in a, in, a, in a midterm base election to motivate those voters. And so um, I don't know if it's a plan that they've had for months. I suspect not. But I don't think it's, uh, it's random either. I think it's the president himself as his own marketer, as his own strategist, you know, gauging what he thinks will motivate his voters. And as a result, you know, he'll he's going to talk about those issues and try to make sure that people remember that those achievements of those goals is only possible if he has a Republican Congress. Quickly, Governor, just your thoughts going into this last stretch. What are we going to learn about the country in your mind in, in these midterm elections that seem to be turning on so many different things uh, all at once? You know, Rick, I, I think you put your, your finger on it. I suspect we won't learn much because there are so many different issues out there that are important to different people, right? I mean, three, four weeks ago, we would have thought this entire election was going to turn on Brett Kavanaugh. Yet now, uh, despite what I heard in New Hampshire last night, you've had so many intervening issues that have come up, the caravan and and all the things around immigration, um, the the pipe bombs, and then um, the the shootings in Pittsburgh, uh, the murders in Pittsburgh. you know, so I think it's very difficult to tell. I do think that the overwhelming 
historical theme will remain true, though. The midterm elections um, are always difficult for the party in power, always difficult for the person and the party who owns the White House. And as a result, if anything different than that happens, then that's going to inure to the great credit of the, of the president and what Republicans have done. If they lose seats in, in both houses, then you're going to be able to say, depending upon the amount of them, that it's a pretty standard loss. I don't know that it's going to tell us anything about the country. I think the country's going to remain in a certain amount of political turmoil um, until we get to 2020. Um, and you have another presidential election where people will be able to evaluate what they think the president has done over the last four years and compare him to whoever the Democrats wind up um, you know, nominating uh, at their convention in 2020. Turmoil ahead indeed. Governor Christie, thank you for joining us, and uh, we look forward to seeing you uh, on our, at our election headquarters on Tuesday night. Looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to being there, Rick. Thank you, and Mary, thank you as well. Thanks, Thanks so Governor. much for substituting for John. Much more <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Governor. Thank you. And Mary, I think Governor Christie's on to something powerful there about um, the the potential for very mixed results. Um, it, it could be an election where both sides will walk away and said, we got what we came for, and it's on to the next fight. Yeah, you won't learn much, man. That's what it landed <laughs> with a thud, I think. And, and he's he's probably right. I mean, there are just so many nuances to these races. The country is so divided um, that the the idea that we wake up on Tuesday morning with a clear – or on Wednesday morning, excuse me, with a clear sense um, of really the, the direction of where we're headed, uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a dispiriting thought. But I'm sorry to politics, end on that optimistic note. Politics is a journey, as we've <laughs> said before. Mary Bruce, thanks for joining. Thanks, thanks for, for thanks me. for being here. Uh, we'll be back later in the week uh, with John Carl from the campaign trail, where he's uh, headed out uh, this afternoon with the president. So we'll be checking back here at Powerhouse Politics. Thank you to the team. Thanks to Angie Yak, Avery Miller, our man at the controls, Trevor Hastings. I'm Rick Klein. Catch us next time.